This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen Podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Hey, it's Dr. Rupi. So we're going to be doing something slightly different this week. Um, This kind of came out of a conversation that I had with my producer. um, And I was explaining to him the podcast that we just released on Monday, the one with Mo Gowda, where we talked about the rise of AI. And he said, oh, that sounds really interesting. Tell me about it. And I said, oh, well, basically, we are essentially creating another life form in artificial general intelligence that's going to be infinitely more powerful than us, have uh, much more processing power such that it can actually make sense of the millions, if not billions of different sensors looking at weather, temperature, um, environmental change, uh, sensation, all these different things. And so basically AI is going to take over all our jobs and, and basically uh, be top of the food chain. And and his response was, uh, so you mean to tell me, I've just edited a podcast episode on how uh, the likelihood of me being infertile has risen over the last 50 years and now machines are going to take over my jobs and to so to the to the to his point you know we've done two back-to-back pretty scary uh podcasts so i thought i'd take a break from the frightening realities and actually bring some humor and some personality back into the pod this week so uh this is just going to be me this week talking to you about a few things that I think you might find interesting, some interesting articles, uh, some questions that I've had in the past. Um, we've done a couple of episodes like this uh, before. So at the start of the year, when I launched the book 321, and also when I did my 100th episode, and I basically talked about the uh, four uh, formulas for lifestyle that everyone should know. And those were super popular. And I don't, I don't really understand why. I mean, I like to think that uh, I'm getting better as an interviewer and bringing on true expert guests that have dedicated years of research into nuanced subjects uh, where they can speak on the manner on the on the matter in a in a much better way than me. 
Um, but for some reason, people like me talking to the mic and, and giving you guys some some tips and and some uh, some of my uh, gems of information, I guess. Um, so I'm going to try that this week, and 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 do let me know. You know, if you think this is complete rubbish, then uh, send me a message uh, on social media or uh, via the newsletter. Um, there's a feedback um, tab that we've got there. Uh, or if you want to hear more of these uh, on different subject matters, let me know, and I, I I can I can do it again. But um, we'll see how it is. So uh, there's a few things I want to talk about today. I, I want to talk about what my information diet is like, and an information diet I think is something that we all need to uh, pay a bit more attention to because with so many sources of information, so much opportunity to influence our brains and our psychology. And, and truly what we think about, um, I think we have to be very mindful about the sources of information and what we expose ourselves to on a weekly basis. I've got a couple of papers that I've read over the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, and, and as you'll hear in my information diet, I tend to read a couple of papers uh, a week, usually in preparation for a podcast, sometimes in preparation for a talk or something like that, or something that's come out of um, my clinical work um, that has sort of sparked some interest. And uh, yeah, hopefully you'll find those papers super interesting. One of them is about the uh, microbiome as a an opportunity uh, to combat depression, during, specifically during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's more of a an editorial review rather than a, a primary research per se. Uh, another one is to do with cheese. Uh, and it says a lot about nutrition science overall and, uh, and how the media can hype things up. This is uh, um, a, a paper that was picked up by a number of different news outlets uh, just last week, and uh, in, in not as uh, as much of a fashion of the whole butter is back um, Time magazine piece that kind of put the world uh, upside down. Uh, it, it's it was veering on that in terms of cheese, and I just want to clarify a few things about the research and actually what the author said about their own paper as well. Uh, and if we have time, uh, we can talk about the portfolio diet, which is this uh, diet that is uh, uh, meant to be associated with better cardiovascular outcomes and, and also whether vegans are happier. So if we've got time, I don't want to talk for too long, but uh, those are a couple of papers that I want to talk about today and um, some interesting tidbits along the way uh, about how I do things and how I approach uh, things too. All right, so my information diet. Um, if you're a subscriber to the newsletter um, at thedoctorskitchen.com, you'll know that every week I post something to eat primarily. You know, uh, the doctor's kitchen is all about delicious, flavorful food that's truly good for you. Um, so we have we, we've been teasing some images from the app that I've been painstakingly building for the last two years um uh we've been doing some primary research interviewing uh potential users uh developing the designs and actually building this um platform from scratch as well there's a there's a few easy ways in which you can do it you can white label a product so this is getting uh totally off topic here but um you can white label a product so you can look at something that already exists and just slap your name on it and then add a few recipes what we're trying to do is actually build something from scratch so essentially what it's going to be is like the headspace for healthy eating i've hinted at this before we're massively delayed we should have been um launched already 
and and trialing stuff on there but it's going to be a selection of recipes that you'll be able to filter according to your health goals we have our academic team that has been uh, going through thousands of papers all the different literature looking at uh, diets for cardio protection brain health inflammation lowering as well as just general well-being as well what are the the best sorts of diets out there and how can we uh, coax people to eat toward a a pattern of eating that actually supports you and your and your health goals and also you know what your dietary preferences are and uh, intolerances um i can't remember where i was going with that but basically um i've been busy behind the scenes beavering away on this product and we've been releasing uh images from it uh on the on the newsletter um but the other things i, I do on the newsletter are, are things to listen to uh, watch or read so it's it's eat listen read or some weeks it's eat watch listen or w- whatever I'm, I'm doing that week and um, a theme that you'll you'll come across quite often um, whenever I write the newsletter and they're, they're quite short newsletters because I'm time poor and I know the best newsletters that I get are ones that get straight to the point and you know, look I'm in the middle of work here I don't want to be disturbed I don't want to be taken on a rabbit uh, down a rabbit hole um, where I completely lose and I procrastinate. So just give me your three things that you want to say to me and and and, and let me get out. So uh, a common theme is that, you know, we have to be very mindful about where things take our mind, what we allow ourselves to be distracted by. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm getting a little bit more um, rigid is probably not the word I'd, I'd use, but I'm definitely getting a, a lot more mindful about um, what sources of information I want to feed my brain. Um, so I, I rarely watch TV, I'll be honest. Um, when I did the show with Prolith in, uh, it was uh, it was um, aired in June, and it was recorded in uh, in February. Um, that was <laughs> probably one of the only times that I actually uh, used my television and and uh, and jumped on Channel Four or whatever. You can still find it, I think, on Channel Four. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I rarely watch TV. My information diet is broken into um, three main things. So I read about one to two books a week. That sounds like a lot. And it, it is a lot. I, I'll be honest, it is a lot. But that also includes a lot of the preparation that I do for podcast guests. Case in point, um, when I interviewed Mo this week, the episode that was out on Monday, it's a very different episode, by the way. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend you do listen to it because it's slightly left field, but it's it's going to impact all of us over the next eight, nine years. So please do give it a listen. And I think we all need to be prepared for it in the same way we need to be prepared. We should have been prepared for, for a pandemic. Um, but case in point, I, I read that book uh, and I, I speed read it. So, you know, rather than uh, having a leisurely read, uh, you know, sat by beach and then reading your book and, and getting lost in it, I, I have to almost study uh, a book. Uh, and whilst I'm reading the book, I'm, I'm also thinking about questions. Oh, that's an interesting angle. How would I interview this person? Uh, you know, what, what kind of um, information... Uh, what, what kind of parts of, of the inform, informative parts of this book would I want to share with my audience? How would I bring this into conversation naturally? I don't want it to sound too contrived because a lot of the podcast is actually quite off the cuff and we, we go down different um, uh, d- d- different avenues as 
the podcast progresses. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the medium of of uh, interviewing in this style. You know, we don't. Uh, when you do live TV, it's very regimented. It's like we're going to hit these three points, and we want to do it on on like in forty five seconds. And we have, because we've got another VT to do, so so it's very different, um, which is why I love podcasting. But yeah, so I, I listen, I I I read uh, at least one to two books, and that's that's not only uh, sorry reading, it's also listening as well. So uh, another case in point when I interviewed uh, Professor uh, Swan. Uh, who uh, was the the author of, uh, of of the book from the previous week's podcast, uh, talking about the rise of um, fertility issues and what could be potentially causing those? I I listened to that book as well as uh, reading uh, segments of it as well. And uh, and a top tip. Sorry, I'm going in different directions here, but a top tip is um, if you do have uh, an Audible or another sort of um, audio subscription platform i use audible there's no commercial ties there and you want to get through a book fast here's a hack that i've learned uh, along the way so it, it, it it's twice the price so it's only for a few books and if you're studying for something or if you really want to get through something quick so i listen to podcasts on 1.5 or two times speed um, it's really weird. It infuriates uh, my, um, my my partner. Uh, I can't listen to podcasts out loud. I have to listen to it on, on one speed with her. Um, but uh, I, I I listen to to podcasts uh, on on double speed because I, I want to get through the information. And, and I, I I can I've actually you know found the way in which uh, that that's fine for me. I've gradually pushed myself up from one one to one point two five to one point five etc. But one thing I've I've uh, I've tried doing in the past and it works really really well is if you listen to it on two speed or two point five speed or even three speed if that goes up on your podcast player and you actually read the text at the same time, it reduces the likelihood of you procrastinating and moving your eyes off the page. Which hap- I don't know if this happens to everyone. It certainly happens to me a lot. So what what happens is it just super focuses you into this book. And it's one of the things that I did with uh, Professor David Sinclair. So Professor David Sinclair, he's been on the podcast before. He is the guy that popularized resveratrol. He is a Harvard um, a geneticist. And he wrote um, a fantastic book called Lifespan. And it, and it chronicles a bit about um, aging research and um, Professor Hovarth and, and how we've used uh, C. elegans and a whole bunch of other species to study aging and try and reverse the biological clock. Um, but his book is very, very technical. And so what I found is I listened to the book and I read the actual physical text at the same time. And wow, I absorbed so much information because I had it coming from two mediums, my vision, my my ears, and it kept me super focused. Um, and so if, if there's anyone who, who's trying to hack uh, a way of absorbing information quicker, um, that's one of my top tips. I, I think it's brilliant. Obviously, you can't do it all the time because you're basically paying twice for, for the same material. Um, but if you need to get something uh, uh, through something quite quickly, uh, then that's uh, then that's what I would suggest. Anyway, so that's that's uh, one to two uh, books a week, and that's both reading and uh, listening. One of the books that I'm reading at the moment, actually, um, which isn't uh, in the, anything to do with who I'm going to be interviewing, 
um, is uh, the monk who sold his Ferrari. Um, and if, if you've heard me talk about the subjects before, um, the 5am club is something that really influenced me and it's something that I try to do as much as possible, waking up at 5am before anyone else is up and giving myself an hour where I can focus on uh, things like meditation, affirmations, journaling, as well as exercise um, and whatever else I need to plan for that day. And it just sets my day up uh, amazingly well. Um, this is by the same author, Robin Sharma, who I'd love to have on the pod actually at some point in the future, um, who wrote this pretty revolutionary book um, back in the late 90s. And his books kind of follow a very similar theme. It's They're more like uh, novels, but they're written in such a way that you absorb a lot of the information that he's trying to get across. In this particular book so far, it's about spirituality. It's about um, recognizing uh, that your awareness is the most important asset of your brain that you have. So actually being aware of awareness is it's super important. It's actually very similar to another book that I am concurrently reading uh, by Rhonda Bryne, who you, you might uh, remember wrote The Secret. Um, her latest book is called The Greatest Secret, and it's uh, it's it's very similar in 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 the same vein. So, and and I think this ties in quite nicely with the subject of uh, your information diet and how important it is. Um, so anyway, those, those are the couple of books that I'm, I'm reading at the moment, plus a couple of other books that I'm preparing podcasts for in the future, uh, which I think you're going to find fascinating. All right. So the, the other parts of my information diet in a big way uh, are podcasts. Um, so and no, I don't listen to my own podcast. That'd be weird. I already obviously listen to it to, to um, edit it and all the rest of it. But um, uh, I listen to a shed load of podcasts. It is my preferred medium of information. I can get completely lost in it. Um, I can do things like walk my dog, go to the gym, doing housework, cooking. Like I just love listening to podcasts. And I listen to a few different things to keep myself out of thinking about work the whole time. Um, so yes, I do listen to some nutrition podcasts. The ones that I listen to are fairly technical. Um, so Peter Atiyah's The Drive podcast, which is generally about uh, aging and longevity. Those are his sort of um, the niches that they, they, they go for, but they, they do expand their topics as well. Like they just did one on uh, 9-11. Uh, they've done some on psychology, which I think is very related to longevity actually and, and stress and happiness, but they are deeply technical and uh, three hours long as well. So um, it's, it's not for the faint hearted. Um, other nutrition podcasts, uh, one uh, I, I started listening to recently is with Dean and Aisha Scherzai. And that, if you remember, those those guys were on the pod um, a few weeks back. They're uh, neuroscientists who've done uh, a lot of research uh, uh, as it pertains to Alzheimer's and dementia prevention. We had a wonderful conversation and they've been doing a podcast for a couple of years now. Um, actually, I'm going to come back to that because I, I think that they said some really interesting things that I want to uh, talk about just before I start talking about the studies. Um, but yeah, so I, I listen to a range of, of, of pods in the nutrition space. I listen to a lot of tech podcasts. Um, and it sounds weird, but um, I think obviously because I'm doing my app and I want to learn about um, 
the the commercial aspects of uh, creating uh, an app as ambitious as the Headspace for Healthy Eating. You know, what I'm trying to do is bring the power of food to a billion people worldwide. And in order to do that, I need to learn a, a lot of things in a space that I'm not very comfortable with. So I listened to, uh, I've started listening to one called My First Million. It's basically two guys who have uh, exited companies, um, have been you know, very financially uh, paid off and they started a podcast where they just talk about ideas every week and it's it's absolutely brilliant. Um, so that they uh, that, that podcast is actually quite inspiring where, where they just talk off the cuff and they just talk through things and I think that's, it's, it's quite relaxing if I'm honest, just to listen to two people have a genuine conversation where there isn't much of a script. And this is what we're, we're trying to do with the Doctor's Kitchen podcast as well. It's it's very, uh, I I want to give the impression that it is relaxed. And it is quite, it is very relaxed, if, I, if I'm honest. We have a few points that I've got on my side, but generally we don't really script uh, anything at all, apart from the intro and outro, and that's it. Um, a, a, a lot of the podcasts that I, I listen to are also, they dip into a bit of politics, usually US-focused politics, but they talk about the uh, issues between power struggles, China, uh, Russia, America, the basically the West and East that has sort of been the paradigm for, for um, many hundreds of years um, and has been exacerbated by the pandemic. So I, I'm, I, I, it's, quite, it's quite, if I'm, if I'm honest, those aspects of what I listen to uh, are quite scary because you're just always wondering about the, of the future. But I, I like to be quite informed. And I think being informed for me, at least anyway, is um, is quite empowering. And I, and I quite I I, I find that um, quite settling. And on that, using that as a as a flavor for for the other things that I listen to, um, I started listening to one called uh, How to Take Over the World, and it's a history podcast. And it's absolutely fantastic. So I've listened to two um, episodes. Uh, one is on Thomas Edison and um, his prolific career as a uh, as an inventor and uh, how everyone knows him for the light bulb. But this guy was a genuine entrepreneur. He had no formal scientific um, background. He never went to university. He was basically a tinkerer. Uh, and a leader and someone who's just absolutely passionate about creating things constantly well into his later years i think he he lived for over 80 years um and the the podcast itself uh how to take over the world um it's just very well done is it's a historian he does a lot of research for all the episodes and um and that that is literally just him talking through stories and I think you know there's so many parallels between what uh, what we're seeing today with the rise of China and the rise of uh, the West and, and and all these different um, uh, wars that are going on and what we've seen in the past. And I think you know I, I, I'm not specifically referring to Thomas Edison. I'm actually referring to another podcast episode that he's done uh, all about Napoleon. Um, I'm not a history buff at all. And I think if when I was a, a, a child, my history teacher had have been telling us stories in the same way 
that the podcast host Ben, I forget his surname, um, does on this podcast episode, I, I think I'd be absolutely enthralled. I might have even gone to history um, because it's it's that good. Um, so definitely go check it out. That's uh, my my top tip for uh, for podcasts. If you're interested in tech, listen to My First Million. I also listen to How I Built This. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Again, it's all about stories, about human connection. And if you're interested uh, at any point about um, historical figures, then uh, how to take over the world. It's not a very big podcast at the moment. I, I don't know how many listens they've got, but it's, it's very, very small, but it's done very, very well. The, the next one I'm going to listen to is on uh, Steve Jobs as well. But there's a whole bunch of other characters from, from history, some of whom that I don't know, I'll be honest, but I'm definitely going to listen to it because anything that this guy puts out is, uh, is awesome. Another important facet for my information diet every week so we've we've got books we've got podcasts i want to talk about things that i exclude i try and limit obviously social media as much as possible i sort of post engage in the community comments where i can respond to messages if i can i we get inundated with messages and and a lot of the time it's asking for advice which you can't do but i i limit um news feeds uh so i used to have my homepage as a um as a, as a news feed, whether it be BBC News or MSN or whatever it might be. Um, I don't do that anymore because um, you, if you notice, if you look at any news uh, page, I mean, go, go and look at one now. Um, usually the top three articles are going to be very, very negative. And that changes your psychology in a way that is detrimental to you. Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be aware of things that are going around in the world obviously we need to be conscious and um and, and fully cognizant of things that are going around us but um when it impacts your psychology to the detriment of of you then that, that's not serving you it's not serving anyone uh, if i'm honest so i've stopped uh, with the news feeds um there was a youtube uh ted talk that i shared actually about the media specifically um, and, and uh, you know, I, I've done it for a long time now where I, I don't have a news um, browser um, and it, it works very well for me. One of the things that inspired me actually to talk about uh, my information diet uh, this week is um, going back to that podcast, How to Take Over the World with Napoleon Bonaparte. There's a, a section and I'm going to share it on this week's newsletter there's a there's a section um, where he talks about Napoleon's ability to uh, compartmentalize his thinking, um, and the the analogy he uses is that of a a desk with a bunch of uh, drawers, and uh, he's quoted as saying, you know, if I, if I'm if I'm thinking about one thing and I I need to stop thinking about and then and divert my attention. Uh, you know, to issues within the military or issues within economics. I close that shelf, that drawer, sorry, and then I open the other drawer. Uh, and so, and that describes his his ability to focus on individual things one at a time. There's no point of having all the drawers open at the same time. And he's also quoted as saying as another thing, again, it was it was stated on the podcast, if I want to sleep, I close all the drawers. And I just, I love that analogy because I use the analogy of tabs, of having a number of different tabs open. And I, I as I do my meditation sometimes, I think about 
my computer browser and having multiple different tabs open and just closing those tabs one by one such that I have a fresh, clean screen and I don't need to think or divert my attention to anything. Uh, and it, it seems that we've been doing this throughout history. Basically, wherever we have uh, a tool to store information or store things, we've used that as an analogy to uh, try and calm down our brain and actually compartmentalize in our brain in a good way where we can actually focus on one thing at a time. And I, I just love that analogy. It's around 30 minutes into the Napoleon um, uh, episode on how to take over the world. And I'll, I'll link to that in the newsletter this week. I just thought that was a wonderful uh, analogy and it really stuck with me as well uh, and inspired me to, to talk to you guys about what my information diet is like. So let's talk about uh, the nutrition podcast that I listened to this week. So it was uh, the Brain Health Revolution uh, by the Sherzai team. Um, the episode that I'm talking about is their second uh, episode. It's uh, it's called Science Under Attack, the battle between the past. Um, and there's a couple of things that I, lo- I loved about this episode. Uh, a, th- these guys talking uh, amongst each other, it's, it's, it's very relaxing. It's listening to a conversation between two esteemed uh, colleagues, two esteemed scientists who also happen to be uh, husband and wife as well. Uh, and one thing that really uh, stuck out to me is this concept of confirmation bias. So your confirmation bias is essentially a bias that you have and you hold within yourself and you um, some, sometimes consciously, sometimes uh, subconsciously are drawn to things that agree with your predisposition. We actually talked about this on the podcast that I did with them, where I am drawn to studies that will um, uh, qualify and uh, and promote the fact that I should be eating grilled fish. Because A, I love eating grilled fish. I love eating fish. I, I, it's one of, one of my, my favorite meals. It's one of you know the best pleasures I have in life whenever I go away to European countries. I think about the food that I want to uh, eat, you know, whether it be um, uh, squid or uh, mussels or uh, razor clams or all these different things like that. And, and, and anything that confirms that, you know what, I should be eating fish and particularly oily fish and sport, I, I'm drawn to that. But the, the, the thing they said about edu- um, uh, confirmation bias that I wanted to bring up is that uh, education, so that the 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 knowledge acquisition, the things that I'm doing, like a master's in in nutritional medicine, or reading papers every every uh, week, uh, or or conversing with with other people, that doesn't remove your bias, unless you're making a conscious decision to remove your bias. Education alone doesn't remove your bias. It just gives you better language to confirm your previous bias. I I love that because that's essentially what I, I, I honestly find myself doing. And I'm being very honest and, and, and making myself pretty vulnerable here. But um, I, I think it's something that a lot of people do without consciously thinking about it. And actually, if I did want to remove my bias, I have to think about ways in which to um, to do that. And, and, and really, what you want to be is a skeptic. Um, not a cynic. A skeptic is 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 uh, someone who is willing to change their mind and uh, willing to be uh, coerced by uh, the breadth of information, the reproducibility of of uh, science. Uh, whereas a cynic is someone who's essentially already made up their mind 
and will not be budged and will look for sources of information to confirm their viewpoint rather than uh, be accepting of something that could be uh, contrary to to their opinion. And, and I think, you know, um, again, this comes back to the whole concept of your information diet. People have lost the ability to hold two conflicting ideas at the same time. You're either vegan or you're paleo. You're either red or you're blue. You're either uh, conservative or you're labor. You know, you know it's, 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 uh, we live in a very polarizing time. And I think we've always lived in a polarizing time, but the means by which we can get information and uh, just how obvious it is to us um, is, uh, is, has been perpetuated by things like social media and, and having information at our fingertips all, all the time. So, um, yeah, th- those are my thoughts on uh, on on confirmation bias and nutrition, and and those are where I get my information diet from. And I think for for you, if you're listening to this, don't worry about taking notes because I'm linking to all these things in the show notes, so you don't have to worry about. It. Sorry, I should have said that at the start. Um, but for you, maybe you should uh, write down what your information diet is. Um, you know. How many articles do you read? Where do you read them from? Um, have you tried different sources of information? Have you started listening to uh, more right-wing sources of information rather than left-wing or uh, centre-left versus centre-right? Obviously, something that's well-written and you know not just pure propaganda, but f- start listening to people's viewpoints who are contrary to yours because it makes you a much more well-rounded um, individual. And I, and I think it... it just ruffles the the feathers of your information that that might spark something in you as well and i think that's kind of why i listen to things like history now and uh, a whole bunch of other subjects because it, it there's a lot you can learn um and there's 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 a whole bunch of there's a wealth of information in different sources uh, that, that that could be um could be really beneficial to you all right so uh let's talk about some interesting articles i probably won't have time to go through everything but one of the things that stood out to me um was the uh this microbiome driven approach to combating depression during the covid-19 pandemic um like i said it's more of a review paper uh, editorial rather than primary research um but i do like reading reviews because they've done a lot of the hard work for you in that they reference a, they do a very good introduction they do uh, a reference point of what we know thus far about the microbiome, um, the population of microbes that live in around our body, largely in our gut, and the microbiome. The microbiome specifically refers to the genetic material of all those different microbes, uh, which are largely bacteria, but also can contain things like fungi and viruses and nematodes. Um, and uh, what they they do is they 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 talk about the current state of affairs as it as it uh, pertains to the surges in mental health illnesses, specifically those related to depressive disorders. And so they examine the the current literature surrounding the microbiome, the gut brain axis, to uh, talk about the advancements of potential complementary approaches, um, and. It's, it's great because w- what they talk about is something that's extremely promising. Um, they use uh, the vernacular, like, you know, semblance of hope. So I, I think, you know, th- this hopefully will galvanize a lot of scientists around the subject uh, area. Um, because part of our understanding of depression has to lie in the gut. I mean, I've seen so much now. I've had so many people on the podcast talking about it now. 
um, that uh, it, it's uh, it's more than probable, and this is really where we should be directing um, a lot of our approaches. And what what they propose in this paper is that um, we should have a microbiome-based holistic approach that carefully annotates the microbiome or potentially annotates the microbiome through diet modification, through things like even probiotics, lifestyle changes, uh, all these things that may address depression and the causes of depression alongside all the other interventions that we have as well. Um, psychotherapies, medications, yes, uh, and the uh, wider determinants of whether someone is predisposed to a depression, whether it be genetics uh, uh, or a combination of the genetics and their environment as well. Um, some of the stats I wanted to... I don't want this to be another scary po uh, podcast, so I'm, I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. But some of the stats did did make me... Um, uh, it, it was pretty worrying. So in, in you're looking at US data... Um, there was a 34% increase in prescriptions for anti-anxiety medications. And this is America. So we're talking huge numbers here, you know, population of 300 million or so. There was also an 18% increase in antidepressant prescriptions and a 14% increase in common anti-insomnia drugs. So this is, you know, US. Um, we already know that major depressive disorder affects over 350 million people. So that's uh, bigger than, that's basically more people than there are in America. That's how many people suffer with major depressive disorder and it's the leading cause of disability, something we've talked about before. But these, you know, these numbers alone were, uh, are pretty stark. And I think if there is any intervention with a plausible mechanism that could alleviate uh you know, even a fraction of those symptoms, then we should 100% be investigating it, particularly when it's cost effective as well. Um, and when I say cost effective, I mean, we're talking about something that we do two to three times a day. It's food. It's it's how we think. It's, you know, all, all these other elements. So we really need to be taking this seriously because pharmaceuticals alone are definitely not doing the job. Um, and the reason why I'm saying that, and I'm not just saying that off the cuff, is because we know that 30 to 40% of depressed patients do not respond to their first line antidepressant treatment. And most, most, so more than 50%, don't have a satisfactory outcome on multiple medications. And that's before we get into the whole con uh, the whole issue around side effects um, and the fact that we don't actually have a complete understanding of the disease. I don't mean to humor this subject, but you know it, it's pretty ridiculous that we don't actually understand that. Um, so, and, 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 and we haven't, I don't want, again, like, I don't want to, this to sound like a completely, um, depressing subject, but it does have impacts on society as a whole. Um, treating these disorders is exceptionally difficult and it has impacts on physical health, increased unemployment, impaired social functioning, reduced productivity, uh, obviously, um, uh, suicide. So, you know, very, very important topic. If there is any uh, element that we could improve through through diet, um, given the wealth of other effects, then we should really be uh, um, investigating it. So let's talk about the, the gut-brain axis. So your gut-brain axis um, are, well, it's a, the bi-directional communication highway 
that between your your gut and your brain that occurs through uh, neural, inflammatory, and or hormonal signaling pathways. So you've got your communities of bacteria and fungi that live in your gut, and they directly and indirectly impact your brain and your emotions. It's something that we've known now for for a long time, and there is a lot of evidence uh, for the existence of this gut-brain axis, as well as the ability to influence it in a positive or negative way. So when you look at the um, the gut in depression, you, you see clear changes to the gut microbiota uh, in terms of uh, their population and how different they look in, in specifically major depressive disorders. Um, and that adversely affects many of the dimensions of the gut-brain axis, including hyperactivation or something called the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. That is the connection between the hypothalamus and pituitary, which are um, uh, parts of, of the brain, and how uh, that influences your adrenal glands, which is primarily where you get the release of things like um, uh, adrenaline or adrenaline. Um, and also you get disruption of your neural circuits and your neurotransmitter levels as well. So neurotransmitters, things like dopamine, serotonin, um, all the things that we label as happy hormones. You know, it's it's, it's kind of a um, yes, they are involved in the in the pleasure responses, but they they have a lot more of a role in terms of signaling as well, and things that we don't fully understand. And you also, uh, again, going back to the gut microbiota and the changes, you get excess production of pro-inflammatory cytokines in the immune system. Um, we've talked on a previous podcast um, with uh, both Professor Felice Jacker, um, Andrew Ramsey, the psychiatrist from uh, uh, from New York uh, and Indiana, um, about the impact of inflammation, systemic inflammation, on the brain and the likelihood of uh, of psychiatric issues. So when I say systemic inflammation, I'm talking about inflammation at a cellular level that exists around the body, and that can be perpetuated by things like um, a, a leaky gut, also known as intestinal hyperpermeability, um, but also uh, things like uh, rheumatoid arthritis, um, uh, injury, uh, chronic uh, autoimmune conditions um, with inflammation at its core, um, these can all disrupt the intestinal barrier, but they can also uh, directly impact your the the um, the brain as well. That can lead to depression. Um, we also know about the existence of the gut-brain axis through established connections. So, um, forty to sixty percent. I'm reading from the paper now. Forty to sixty percent of anxious and depressed individuals report having an intestinal functional disturbance. So, something like uh, irritable bowel syndrome. We've always known that there is a correlation, but there is evidence to suggest causality here as well. Um, the reason why we know that is because um, there are uh, studies, although looking at animals in this case, where we transfer um, the poop from a human with depression. I know it sounds a bit icky, um, but it's called a, a fecal gut microbiota transplant um, or fecal microbial transplant. We transfer that into a rodent, and that's been shown to induce a depression-like state in the animal itself. So, so there is the link between the potential causality of the microbes having this impact on the brain. Although, yes, it's in rodents, but it's you know it's something you probably can't, you wouldn't be able to do, not can't, you wouldn't be able to get through that 
possible. I mean, can you imagine a, a, an experiment where you put uh, a depressed patient's poop into a euthymic, otherwise known as a, a, a level um, uh, level emotional state, uh, someone who doesn't suffer depression, and and give them the poop, and then you know it just wouldn't it wouldn't happen. So that's why you know rodent studies are quite important in that respect. So moving more towards the solutions okay we, we, we establish a connection we know about the gut brain axis we know about the impact of depression we know how much of an issue depression is on a global scale what are the potential solutions that these guys talk about well i think the first thing to acknowledge is the fact that rebalancing the gut microbiome in individuals with major depressive disorder could be a promising step towards assisting those individuals. So the first thing they talk about is obviously diet. So that if you if you think back to COVID, and I'm going to use myself and put myself in, again in a vulnerable scenario here, where um, during the uh, hard uh, lockdowns, what what were you what were you eating? And I know for me, because I essentially went full time uh, at the hospital, um, uh, so my my patterns were all disrupted. Um, I was feeling obviously quite low, anxious. What did I do? I, I ate loads of unhealthy food. You know, I uh, I was obviously eating a lot of the sweets that these kind-hearted people had sent to the hospital. You know, there's chocolate everywhere. Uh, I wanted to eat comfort food. So, you know, we'd be ordering loads of stuff uh, like takeaways and all that kind of stuff. I definitely increased my alcohol consumption. Uh, not to detrimental amounts, but certainly, you know, I, I'm someone that doesn't really drink at all. If I'm honest, I'm, I'm quite boring like that now. Um, but uh, but I was definitely having at least one uh, one to two glasses of uh, of wine a day, um, which is completely out of the ordinary for me. And we know that unhealthy foods disrupt the microbiome. Uh, alcohol, again, we know can create intestinal hyperpermeability, also known as leaky gut. These all have impact. I'm not saying that this alone was the reason why people, uh, why we we saw an increase in um, depressive outbreaks during the the pandemic, but it certainly didn't help, and it certainly may have added to the likelihood of um, people suffering a depressive disorder, particularly if they have uh, predisposition to depression genetically, or they have an environment that is psychogenic as i described so something that can uh, can push someone towards that the guys uh, and i'm not alone so <laughs> the uh, the guys who um who did the review uh, refer to a a uk study in which 2000 adults were um were given a questionnaire and they found that 80% of people reported an increase in unhealthy options so i'm not alone i'm uh, four and five uh, i wasn't the one in five, um, I definitely increased my unhealthy options. To be fair, like I probably ate, but uh, I still ate very well. But you know, just increased my unhealthy options uh, massively for me. And there was also a thirty-six percent increase in alcohol consumption as well. Um, so th- these dietary impacts can have an impact on depressive symptoms, as we know. Um, we don't know the exact underlying mechanisms but some that have been proposed um, could be related to oxidative stress so oxidative stress is the imbalance of your reactive oxygen species versus the antioxidant impact of uh, of diet as as well as uh, some of the other cells that you have innately in you as well 
um, inflammation, as I've already discussed, and mitochondrial dysfunction. So mitochondria are, are always sort of described as like the powerhouses of your cells. You know, they, they generate ATP. Um, they have uh, distinct DNA from us. So they're actually a remnant of, uh, of bacteria. Um, so it, it, it's, it's actually very, it's, it's a quite complicated structure uh, and something I, I probably don't fully understand myself. But the other, the other um, roles of mitochondria are in signaling as well. So it's not just, they're not just powerhouses of energy, but certainly the dysfunction of mitochondria um, tend to, is something that we tend to see in people with mental health disorders as well. So there, there are a whole bunch of, of elements here where the uh, disruption of healthy eating patterns and increase in alcohol could have had an impact on the likelihood of uh, depressive, um, uh, depressive episodes. Um, obviously, a good diet uh, tends to have uh, vegetables, fiber, vitamins, minerals, all these things that are packed with polyphenols, the good bioactives that I always talk about on the podcast. And these nutritional factors uh, are associated with de- decreased depression rates, you know, potentially because of their modulatory role on inflammation, uh, potentially because of the bioactives and how they are neuroprotective. And also, as we'll talk about in a bit more, their prebiotic properties. So just a little refresher, prebiotics, things like garlic, onion, chicory are specific types of fibers um, that modulate the microbiota in a positive manner. So they are specialized fibers that are uniquely positioned to uh, grow and uh, provide lots of substrate or food for your microbes so they can slave away for us seven days a week every hour, every minute. They don't ask for anything in return. All they want is good food, and that's what prebiotics specifically are very good at giving them. The The paper then turns to probiotics. So we've talked about diet. we talked about the potential negative impacts of a poor diet, the potential positive impacts of a good diet. Probiotics, that, so again, refresher, these are live microorganisms which when administered in uh, adequate amounts, and I think that's very, very important here, the adequate amount confer health benefits to the host. And the way uh, that, uh, that this is proposed in terms of how this happens is because when you introduce these different probiotics, they modulate the population in such a way that is beneficial. So they might provide diversity to the population. Um, some of them might be really good fermenters and they create you know, these wonderful short chain fatty acids that nourish the gut cells or are involved in neurotransmitter production, which um, uh, improves the balance of the neurotransmitters that are being produced. Um, some microbes that are introduced via probiotics prevent uh, the um, adherence of uh, pathogenic uh, microbes. So pathogenic being those that are detrimental for the gut. So that, again, that all serves to create a, a much more harmonious environment in your gut, which allows it to do its job um, and, and can uh, reduce the likelihood of inflammation, all the other things that can uh, can lead to a whole host of things. But in this case, we're specifically talking about depressive, uh, depressive symptoms. Um, and so probiotics could serve this critical function of uh, keeping the microbiome in balance. Um, 
And they refer to, again, animal and human studies that show a reduction in anxiety and depression comparable to medications when being administered probiotics. Now, I, I just want to state here that the, the, the evidence for this is mixed. So there are some uh, studies that show a beneficial um, a beneficial impact of probiotics on, on the gut and, and on uh, specifically anxiety and low mood symptoms. There are some that don't show anything at all. They, they basically show negative results. But we also have to consider the unpublished studies. And the unpublished studies are usually the ones that are negative because most journals, and I, I'm not you know saying anything against journal editors, you got a hard job, lots of research, particularly on the microbiota being um, produced. But a lot of negative papers, i.e. things that don't really show anything, tend to not be published because they're not sexy. You know, if you think about it from the perspective of what drives sales or clicks or whatever, it, it's just as rife in the scientific literature. So I'm more likely to click, on, and, and very honestly, I'm more likely to click on a paper that shows probiotics reduce the incidence of depression by 30%, yada, 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 uh, versus probiotics administered over two years um with uh you know this selection of uh microbes uh, used in the formulation have zero effect uh you know are like oh okay fine it's not it's it, again it's my confirmation bias as well it definitely comes into play here I'm, I'm more likely to want to click on something that i want to believe i want to believe in probiotics but i think we have to be very pragmatic about this as well so they definitely show promising role uh, but we don't know uh, exactly how promising what's promising and um, what the mechanism is uh, specifically either. I reckon there could be a whole host of reasons as to why pro probiotics may or may not work. Um, but the proposed uh, mechanisms, the plausible mechanisms, I think are that um, they have the ability to normalize cortisol levels that can be raised in, in people with, with anxiety like uh uh, and depression um, regulate this HPA axis of so the hypothalamic uh, pituitary uh, ax adrenal axis and also reducing circulating uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines these are the uh, molecules that can induce uh, inflammation the the number one question I know that I'm going to get after this is okay, right, what what probiotics Ruby come on like just just get to the goods tell me what I should be taking well a I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you should take anything I think that the biggest impact that we're going to have is going to be through um, diet and and the lifestyle things that I'm going to talk about in a second but the ones that keep on crumping up again and again and again are lactobacilli casei lactobacillus uh, uh, acidophilus and uh, lactobacilli um, paracasei, as well as bifidobacterium uh, lactis. You can find a lot of these different lactobacilli and bifidobacteria uh, bacterium in uh, fermented products, so kefirs, yogurts. You can find them in sauerkraut. You can find them in good quality kimchi as well. But looking at the wealth of the data here, it appears that probiotics that incorporate multiple strains might provide better benefits than those just using single strains. So if you are going to choose a probiotic and you want to improve your chances, the likelihood is that if you have a probiotic with multiple strains, it's 
probably going to have a better effect than one just just one strain even if that one strain is you know 50 billion uh, colony forming units or, or whatever the um, the units they use um, it, it you, you probably enhance your chances by having multiple strains the probiotic industry unfortunately along with the supplement industry is uh, is unregulated and it's really really hard um, for me to say, you know, you should just go for this brand or go for this. But if you are going to try anything, I'd say multiple strains. Uh, and I would try and get ones with the lactobacilli and the bifidobacterium in them. Because those are the ones that appear to, to be beneficial. But there's so many unknowns about this whole industry. So I can't hand in my heart say that this is going to do anything at all. Um, the reason why multiple strains might provide better benefits is because they have synergistic effects. So like I said, each um, strain might um contribute differently so one of them might be better at reducing inflammation one of them might be better at, uh, at booting the the bad bugs out of the way so they don't disrupt uh the barriers one of them might be better at you know uh, uh, uh creating a, a, a film um that prevents bad bugs from attaching to the gut wall um, another one might be a really good fermenter so you know it creates all these uh, different neurotransmitters or, or fatty acids that help with um, uh, the inflammation balance and stuff. So, you, you know, th there's a whole bunch of reasons as to why, probably way above my pay grade as well. So, um, so yeah, so th th those are my thoughts on probiotics and certainly from this um, paper and looking at everything else beyond what's on this paper as well. That, that's, that kind of is in line with, with what I think about probiotics too. The interesting thing I think that was stated in this paper is that probiotic therapies may pr produce certain benefits um over therapeutic drugs so there have been some studies where they gave probiotics and they found a better benefit than uh, antidepressants um or play an adjunctive role and i'm more interested in the latter because i i think rather than trying to pit two things uh, against each other when they play such a different uh, when the mechanism is so different uh i th i think it's more likely to be complementary rather than anything else um that you know a lot of people have stated that um particularly the the drugs that we use in psychiatric disorders specifically depression uh serotonin um uh, reuptake inhibitors um and a whole bunch of others you know whether they're being potentiated in the gut uh that's very interesting because if you have a a complementary supplement in a multi-strain probiotic helping the pharmaceutical do its job i i think that's that's a really interesting and i haven't i haven't come across a study yet that looks at uh the combination of them uh in the same way you know immunotherapy might be uh, immunotherapy for cancer uh, might be benefited by a better diet or even probiotics themselves as well i think i think there's a, an interesting um research study uh for for that um but i haven't come across it yet all right so let's let's talk about the other lifestyle elements of this paper i think we're just going to end up talking about this paper now this is going on for ages okay so exercise so again during the pandemic decline in all types of physical exercise obviously exercise plays an important uh role in a whole bunch of, of um uh conditions cardiovascular disease 
And it also has uh, an important role in increasing the diversity of the gut microbiota, maintaining the balance between your beneficial and pathogenic bacterial community. So if we're going to be reducing the amount of exercise that we do, it's obviously going to have another hit on the microbiota. So you can just see these marginal hits uh, on the microbiota, alcohol, unhealthy diet, um, your environment, your lack of exercise, all these different things conspire to uh, hurt your microbiota and your microbial community. So the potential mechanisms of why exercise has this effect, this beneficial effect, is that it increases the availability of your brain neurotransmitters like dopamine, your your feel-good endorphin, so that that's the endorphin sort of hypothesis. Um, You've also got something called the monoamine hypothesis, and this is where um, following uh, exercise you have an increase of norepinephrine and serotonin that we've actually observed in plasma and urine following and and, and various uh, brain regions as well following exercise. So that's called the monoamine hypothesis. So it basically boosts all these different uh, uh, neurotransmitters that have positive effects on your on your brain regions. You also have uh, exercise alleviating depression through those neuromolecular mechanisms. So that's increased expression of neurotrophic factors. We've talked about this in, on the podcast before, the BDNF or brain-derived neurotrophic factor and regulation of the, again, the HBA axis activity as well, um, increasing the availability of your uh, endorphins and reducing your uh, systemic inflammatory signaling. So exercise basically is like, one of the things that we we should all really be doing every day. I mean, I do I do it every day. I I can't start my day without doing some form of exercise, even if it is just stretching. Um, you know that has been shown to improve stability, um, uh, core exercises, all these things. Uh, it doesn't always have to be a jog. You don't always have to uh, you know go outside. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. If you can get outside, brilliant. You get that dose of um, of, uh, of morning light as well that will adjust your circadian rhythm. So, you know, this is everything I'm talking about is basically conspiring to that simple way of life that uh, is very simple and the solutions are very simple. The implementation of it and the execution of it is is the hard thing. So I'm not shying away from that. I I think obviously that is is very hard to do. Um, But uh, I'm just going to give you the facts and, and hopefully the podcast and uh, the stuff I put on social media and the books can can help you uh, to execute these and implement these on a daily basis. Another interesting point um, I want to make about uh, the the exercise impact on the brain is that it inc- the, the most obvious thing is that it increases cerebral vasculature. So that's the um, vascular connections between all the different areas of your brain. You're introducing a lot more oxygen to those areas. You're driving uh, capillaries to grow. You're, ma- you're uh, preserving your, your brain integrity um, by making sure that you're giving a good dose of blood flow going to your brain as well. So that will contribute to the development of new neurons um, and the synaptic connections between your neurons. So you're essentially creating uh, neuroplasticity, synaptic connections, and boosting cognitive function. Um, so again, lots of reasons why we should be exercising. It's just the implementation of doing it every single day um, and, uh, and and putting it to action. So the conclusion, I was really, it's, I've spent way too long on this. So the conclusion of, um, of this uh, review paper is that depression has been shown to be linked to uh, a disruption of your microbial populations in your gut. 
something called dysbiosis in the microbiome. And knowing what we know now, we can make lifestyle habits work for us instead of against us. And this is the crux of everything. You know, if we know that a healthy diet full of polyphenols, bioactives, uh, all those anti-inflammatory uh, chemicals, prebiotics can serve us. Okay, that's the solution. The hard bit is how do we allow people to eat this way every single day? How do we create environments and communities where this is the norm? How do we create a culture around healthy eating that we don't have to necessarily opt into, we have to opt out of? Right now, we our default is takeaways, it's junk food, it's quick, it's croissants, it's refined carbohydrates, it's when you go to a coffee store, you know, it might look healthy, but it's actually full of refined sugars, unfortunately. So all, all these different things, they conspire against us. And that's why uh, healthy living in this day and age is it's a lot harder than it should be. Um, and again, you know, it's just creating this environment that allows it. And I, and I, I know it's an extreme uh, ex- example and an extreme um well, I don't actually think it's that extreme. It's uh, it's like smoking. We, we had to we had to endure decades of research to demonstrate uh, the negative impact of smoking for one. But then, even though we had clear, clear understanding of how detrimental smoking was, it took another few decades for us to remove advertising. Another few decades for us to um, remove it from public spaces. Uh, and those would have been seen as extreme, you know, something that we all do, something that we have a right to do, something we can opt into and all these different things. So, you know, when you when you actually look at everything in totality, I'm not just looking at this review paper, I'm looking at through the perspective of Alzheimer's, of um, cardiovascular disease, of obesity, uh, you know, all these things, it, it, it's having a huge, huge impact. So we have to get quite serious about this um so yeah so those are those are the 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 essential conclusions lifestyle the microbiota driven approach why the pandemic is uniquely positioned to make us more depressed and uh, what the potential solutions are that are within our remit of control but also things that we probably have to legislate for as well that was a long uh, description. I'm going to try and make that a lot shorter next time but uh, hopefully you found some some information there that was interesting So this study was um, was in PLOS One, um, and it's called Biomarkers of Dairy Fat Intake, Incident of Cardiovascular Disease and All-Cause Mortality, a Cohort Study, Systematic Review, and Meta-Analysis. Sounds amazing, right? So basically, um, th- th- this caused like a whole bunch of stir around the headlines last week, So I, I want to, and I was going to uh, talk about it on Morning Live, but it got cut for some reason, so... Uh, anyway, I thought I thought I'd uh, use the research I've done for this uh, for the podcast. So um, this basically looked at uh, biomarkers of dairy fat intake, and the biomarker they use is something called serum pentadecanoic acid fifteen O. Uh, this is basically looking at um, a a particular uh, carbon chain length of um, of fats. Um, they also looked at another one called transpalmitoloic acid 70. It's, it's, uh, uh, basically, a, a, another carbon chain length. And it's, um, what we use as a proxy 
for dairy fat in the blood. And what they did is they, at, at day zero, they measured these biomarkers uh, at baseline in, a, in about 4,000 Swedish adults. Uh, and it was it was well adjusted. They had a, a nice mix of of age and and male to female ratio, and they basically followed them up for sixteen years. And what they found after sixteen years was the higher the amount of dairy fat uh, in the blood as measured at day zero by penta pentadecanoic acid, the fifteen O. That was associated with a lower instance of cardiovascular disease and lower all-cause mortality as well. Sounds great, right? So it seems that more dairy fat in the blood was associated with lower cardiovascular disease after 16 years. Now, they don't repeat the biomarker at 16 years. They just look at the instance of cardiovascular disease and all-cause mortality. And I think that that's the, the biggest limitation of this study in that you don't know whether that dairy fat level was consistent over 16 years of follow-up um, because they, they they only assessed those bio- biomarkers at day zero. They didn't do it at day whatever 16 years in the future is. Um, and so, it, it, you know, that, that's a huge limitation of, of the study. Um, and also, it's impossible to distinguish the types of dairy foods that uh, correlated with the the high levels of dairy fat uh, biomarker as measured in the in the blood. Um, so, you know, th- these are uh, big things. But to the author's um, credit, they're not trying to make the assumption that you need to eat more dairy fat in your in your diet to reduce your incidence of cardiovascular disease. That is the exact opposite of what they're saying. What they also did is do something called a meta-analysis, which is they basically where they bundle up a whole bunch of studies, uh, including their study, and they also found similar things. So they found this association between high levels of the biomarkers in the blood and, and lower cardiovascular disease. So what they say is... This is interesting. It goes against what we would think, but what it does, what this uh, piece of research suggests, is that we need to do clinical and experimental studies to elucidate the causality of this relationship and the relevant mechanisms behind it. So what we're saying is, this is an association. It has no uh, bearing on whether this is actually true or not. But we should definitely look into this because this goes against what we're currently advising. They even go as far as to say that other fats, like those found in seafood and nuts and uh, and extra virgin olive oil and and stuff like that, have greater health benefits than dairy fats as well. They they also say that. Um, but as you can imagine, I'm just going to read you a title from uh, a newspaper: "Eating More Dairy Fat Linked to Lower Risk of Heart Disease." Now that's true. That is, that is, there is a link there. They're not saying that it causes it. They're not saying that that's actually okay. Obviously, it's written in a way to grab your attention, talk about the French paradox and all that, all that stuff. And, you know, everyone wants to eat the cheese. Who doesn't want to eat cheese? I want to eat cheese. Um, so, you know, that, that's, you can understand that. But the, the very next paragraph I have a big issue with um, researchers have found that cheese and cream may indeed ward off heart problems 
that's incorrect. That's not that's not what the researchers have found. Um, they found a link that needs to be further investigated, um, but that that's definitely not what they found. So that's actually factually incorrect, and that was from a broadsheet paper. Um, I don't want to I don't want to get sued, so I'm not going to uh, not going to name who it was. But that's from a broadsheet, and you'd expect a lot better from said broadsheet. I can't imagine what the other papers would say. I'm sure it'd, it'd be you know written in a, a completely bastardized way from from what the authors would have wanted. Um, so it's just something to be aware of that uh, a we're talking about observational studies here, the lowest form of uh, uh, the, the the lowest quality in terms of the hierarchy of studies, the lowest quality of study. So we can't really glean much from it. This is the big big problem with nutritional science in general, which is why I I honestly have a love hate relationship with it. Within this study itself, you know, it's it's impossible to uh to figure out the quality of the dairy foods that certain people might be consuming it's only done in sweden with swedish adults where they have quite high consumption of dairy so their microbiota something we've been talking about already um uh, might be uh better suited and adjusted to having that much dairy compared to someone from i don't know india or sri lankan origin or wherever you know so so again the personalization element is definitely not there particularly in observational studies um, the health impact of dairy foods might be dependent on the type as well. Is it an aged cheese? Is it a yogurt? Is it milk? Is it kefir? Is it fermented? Is it butter? You know, all, all these different things. And also, let's let's not forget that the your risk of disease is not down to the inclusion of one ingredient alone. Your overall diet quality is super important. That is the most most important thing. And when it comes to anything, whether it be a traditionally healthy ingredient, whether it be broccoli or whether it be something like you know bread, it comes down to the two things I always talk about: quantity and quality. How much of said ingredient are you consuming? What is the quality of the ingredient that you're consuming? With bread, you know how much of the bread are you having, and you know are you using a whole grain bread? Has it got loads of nuts and seeds in it? Uh, is it been uh, allowed to ferment properly? Is this sourdough? Is this a prebiotic? You know, there's so many different types of of each ingredient. So, quantity and quality are the are the two big things I always talk to people about. And just another sidebar on cheese. You know, um, it is a good source of vitamin K. Um, they do have probiotics. You know, if you're getting an aged cheese, you're getting a very good quality cheese. If it's raw, uh, um, unpasteurized, it, you're going to get some of those bacterial elements as well. Um, so that there, there might be some 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 other benefits that we we don't fully understand from aged cheeses, uh, but again, you know, I mean, I personally can't eat that much dairy products because it gives me a funny tummy, and a lot of people have that issue as well. Um, so, and that's going to cause gut inflammation. So, you know, everything has to be taken with a pinch of salt, and just because. One study um, says something about a positive about uh, dairy doesn't mean that for you as an individual it's going to be beneficial. You really have to personalize this stuff yourself, and and hopefully you know I can give you some sort of advice that is actionable and uh, something that you can take towards your to your kitchens and your family and actually um, start putting into practice. So um, so yeah, th- those are my those are my thoughts on on that particular study, and I, I just think if you just remind yourself of the discrepancies uh, behind um, how 
the media put stuff out there and and the the issues within nutritional science itself just take everything with a pinch of salt that's what i say um cool all right i don't think i'm gonna have time to go through the other things i've been witchering on for for way too long here uh you know if people like this kind of thing um what i can do is a shorten it because i think i've been talking way too long here um i can pull out different uh studies and stuff and we could talk about some some interesting stuff if if you like that um i won't go too hard on the science stuff because i think that can get a bit boring and i'll stick to the takeaways so the takeaways for for this week are that you know check out what your information diet is you know where are you getting your information from are you listening to angry sources of information is it all negative is it news what books are you reading is it is that um a nice mix of different uh, elements uh I, I catch myself quite often you know just just doing uh two topics of interest for me like nutrition or tech or all that kind of stuff i need to mix it up and that's why i started listening to a history podcast um and trying to uh, learn a bit more about meditation, for example. It's all kind of the same thing in terms of what my core interests are. But I think that's that's uh, certainly some, a, a good takeaway for, for anyone listening to this. Um, we talked about the gut-brain axis. It's real. It definitely has an impact on the dep- on, on uh, uh, mood states, uh, enhancing the microbiota alongside other factors like psychology and um, even pharmaceuticals to, to some degree. Uh, could be pragmatic decisions. I'm super excited about that, and I think we can do things today that can protect our mental, uh, our mental well-being, and our um, uh, and our uh, prevent uh, depression in the future. Uh, and we talked a bit about dairy fat and uh, and how yes, there is a study that uh, links dairy fat uh, with with potential uh, cardiovascular protection. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's caused by that. There could be a whole bunch of other elements in the diet. It's an observational study. There's so many issues with those. Um, so yeah, hopefully you find that useful. And if there's one thing I, I want to leave you with is this idea of Napoleon, one of the most successful um, conquerors of our time, someone who was uh, a foreign refugee um, who went on to uh, take over France and create a huge empire. And his what might have been key to him is the ability to carpent 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 mentalize <laughs> i've been talking too long um and the ability to to put things in drawers shut uh, one drawer open another and then shut them all when he needs to rest and i think uh, i definitely need to do that right now Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you want to leave us a review, please do uh, leave us a five-star review on Apple or wherever you're listening. And also, if you want to give any feedback and it's negative, then just send me a message rather than putting it on my uh, ratings because that, 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 uh, um, that, that won't be very good for the podcast. So just, just join the newsletter. There's a feedback thing there. Shoot me a message. I read all of them. I can't reply to all of them. I will try and reply to as many as I can. Um, so just shoot me a message there. And thank you so much for your attention. I really, really value it. And I hope this podcast will continue to inspire and uh, give you information and help you lead healthy, happy lives. Take care. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 